0: Welcome to this edition of our Six Questions podcast. I'm Trent England for Save Our State. Thank you so much for for being with us and for being a, a, a watcher or listener to the program. Very excited today to talk with the former Attorney General of the Commonwealth of Virginia, Ken Cuccinelli, also former acting deputy secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, and currently the national chairman of something called the Election Transparency Initiative. Ken, good morning.
1: Good morning. Good to talk to you.
0: Yeah, it's great to to have you on the program. Let's start with a a simple question. What is the mission of the Election Transparency Initiative?
1: So we uh, we were formed to help states encourage states be good good cop or bad cop to get states to reform and update their election laws to make them more transparent more secure so that everyone can have confidence in the outcome of their elections and we measure success by systems where the losing side can have confidence in the outcome and um That, in the last year and a half, has meant trying to stop the Washington, D.C. legislation, which included a Washington takeover of elections, essentially, uh, while encouraging states to improve their elections. And we've had success on both sides. And for people concerned about the security and the transparency of our elections, I will at least say this. We are much better off as a country than we were two years ago today, heading into 2020, and uh, we have a lot more work to do as a country. Uh, all of our states have improvements they can make, uh, but we are much better off, and I'm much more confident heading into 2022.
0: That that's great news. I'm sure our uh, I'm sure our viewers and and listeners will be excited to hear that because uh, you know obviously a lot of a lot of frustrations and concerns around not just 2020, but you know obviously folks on the other side. Um, you know, have had their their right. issues, and and folks who complained about you know two
1: thousand. Well, they made the same complaints for twenty years, but yeah. then suddenly it was evil to make the same complaints. But um, but but the reality is, I was a state legislator before I was a attorney general. This is a subject that just isn't all that popular in legislatures. Mm-hmm. It's boring. It's nutsy and boltsy, and there's other stuff they'd rather spend their time on. And I mean, in Pennsylvania, they're still operating off a 1937 election code. Um, you know, you can go around the country and find that kind of neglect um, to update election codes all over the country.
0: So, Ken, you you mentioned your service as a state legislator. You were the, the attorney general of Virginia. Let's talk for a minute about that state. I mean, Virginia was blue and then it was red and then it was purple and maybe it was going to be blue permanently and now it's back to republicans controlling the the governorship and well all, all of the statewide elected offices and the house of representatives or the house of delegates there um what what's going on in virginia and do you think virginia so, is going to two things red?
1: one virginia isn't like most other states because um, most of the people who work in the nation's capital live in Virginia. The, the businesses that are servicing the nation's capital are primarily in Virginia. And so it is really Northern Virginia in particular has grown ridiculously because both parties have overspent for yours and my entire lifetimes. So that's why we have a $30 trillion debt now that we nobody, even if they were serious about it, could figure out how to handle. But in Virginia, what that means for our politics is big government people keep moving into northern Virginia and they vote like big government people. So for Republicans to win, as Glenn Youngkin did, they first need to run good campaigns with good candidates. And we had that across the board. But they also had the environment where Joe Biden had been screwing up so unbelievably. And uh, the last sweep we had, I was the attorney general candidate in 2009. It was following Barack Obama's election. And at that point, everybody was worried about what he was talking about doing. It was still not a full year in. Obamacare was a year away. Actually, maybe a little. Yeah, it was a year away. And um, uh, and so we get to a point like that. And you look at the Biden administration, you'd had Afghanistan. That was a real world screw up. And Virginia is a very military focused state. We've got the Pentagon, Fort Lee, I could go on on the forts, all of Southeast Virginia. We have the biggest naval facilities in the East East Coast, et cetera. So um, very military focused. And to have a a monumental and embarrassing screw up like that really has political effects. Um, The party not controlling the White House, particularly when a new person arrives, has a real advantage in the next election in Virginia. Doesn't mean they always win, but um, you know Terry McAuliffe was sailing into a headwind, and Glenn Youngkin ran a good campaign, as did Winsome Sears and Jason Miyares. So it's a very unique feature of Virginia. That's the one. The other is much more focused on what we're talking about. Um, the Democrats had control of Virginia's government for a number of years, and they made over sixty election changes, including we have my my least favorite. We have a 45 day election now. No excuse, early voting and so forth. So, um, in response to 2020, thousands of Virginians, I'd estimate around 3,500, stepped forward, got themselves trained as election officials, not working on campaigns, working inside the polls for the government to run the election. And everybody watching, you and me in the United States, can do this and they should. So, 3,500 new election officials went inside and on a trained basis and they were there watching and everybody knew it. And the biggest cheating that was happening um, in Virginia in 2021 was caught by one of these new folks. And it was state officials breaking our own law um, in how they were handling absentee ballots. And in 2020, state officials not following their own law was one of the great frustrations of that year. So that that kind of solution can happen anywhere. So that whole Republican sweep you and I just talked about happened under a Democrat set of rules for the election that we beat them at, in part because thousands of citizens just stepped forward to do a citizenship duty, and that has helped run the election.
0: So, Ken, a a question that many people see as being related to elections, at least in the long term, but certainly has a lot of other ramifications. Um, You you were in the Trump administration. You were in the acting deputy secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Um, What what is going on? What is really going on at the southern border of the United States? And of course, the Biden administration wants to act like there's nothing that anybody can do about it. It's just this thing that happens to us, uh, or that that happens to them. But uh, what's going on there, and what could the administration do to, you know, fix or, or at least ameliorate the issue?
1: So the politics of it are that the Biden administration is effectively captured by the radical left. I mean, you're you the the Democrats you know in your neighborhood who vote Democrat they're not typically crazy like the people that are getting elected. Now, Biden didn't used to be crazy, but he essentially handed the wheel over to the AOCs and men who think they're women to be in the cabinet and and um, th- this kind of woke craziness. Well, one part of it is they are open borders radicals. Um, and um, during the transition, we had over A 100 meetings with the incoming Biden administration and the Department of Homeland Security just on the subject of immigration. That's just immigration meetings. Um, All with the professionals, not the political folks. In every single one of those meetings, they were told, if you do this, this open borders policy, this is what will happen. They knew this was coming they wanted it to happen and that is hard for a lot of people to understand but it might be easier if you look at their election bill hr1 1, the one i talked about uh, us fighting against in washington that bill would have ordered all states all 50 states to enroll every adult in their state alien illegal alien didn't matter it that's one Two, it eliminated penalties for them voting. So it essentially decriminalized non-citizens voting. Um, And three, it instituted a criminal penalty for state and local officials who vaguely impeded anyone registering to vote or voting. And, um, of course, if I'm on the selling that side, I can make that sound really good but the purpose of it was to intimidate local officials from not impeding the stampede of literally millions of illegal aliens, along with legal aliens onto our voter rolls. So, you know, just cause you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. This is, th- these things are linked together. And um, it is ironic. They are in denial about the move of Hispanic voters in a more conservative direction. Um, if you just look at cultural issues, Hispanics are not historically radical liberals. They don't know what Latinx is. Um, and um, they see the pandering not just from the president, but from his wife, speaking of Latinx and tacos and everything else. And um, and that, that insanity uh, turns them off, along with the fact that there's become a big gap between the parties in simple Um, efforts to create opportunity and given the extraordinary and entrepreneurial zeal of the Hispanic community, um, you know, that shows up as well. So Glenn Youngkin won 54 percent of the Hispanic vote. That was a higher percentage than he got overall. Yeah. And that's in Virginia. That's not in Texas. So, you know, there's a major move going on there, um, but it isn't why the open borders policy exists. It's the, the people who believe this, believe it because they believe it. This being that this open borders approach, these people will will track them into citizenship somehow, and they'll all vote for us forever. And and um, that is not matching up with the reality in the United States of America. And let me add one other thing. Before I was deputy secretary, I ran U.S. citizenship and immigration services, which is the legal immigration agency so i got to swear in new citizens and any american born here should go to one of these ceremonies it's extremely moving but these people followed the rules yeah and when they see other people jumping the line they don't think well of that it's not fair it's not fair
0: yeah yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch what's going on in in politics and just some of the the preconceptions that people have had. <clears throat> excuse me, particularly on the left about how you know people have to vote a certain way because of their ethnicity. How all oh that yeah
1: oh, on. and it's offensive really when you think about it. It really yeah. is.
0: So I have to ask you a question about the Electoral College. Of course, that's what we do at Save Our States is defend the Electoral College. How does that tie into these questions of election rules, election transparency, and and uh, you know, also this, this political diversity that we're you know, talking about in a sense here? We talk about shifting patterns of voter behavior. What's the importance of the Electoral College from your perspective?
1: Well, for, it's, it is a, a critical element of state sovereignty and the progressive left since the late 1800s has wanted to essentially wipe out states as a separate sovereign. Um, the founders really thought they had continuing value and they've proven that. And, um, you know, I can tell you as the deputy secretary at THS, having 51 presidential elections is much more secure against our foreign adversaries than having one big one. Because then there's a system, if you can hack that system, you really can't affect the outcome. But if you're sitting in Russia and, and wondering, is it worth trying to hack Wisconsin? Will it swing the election? I mean, you've got to risk being caught, weighed against the fact that all of your efforts would matter at all anyway. And We actually benefit on a security standpoint, even if it's more confusing in some respects, but from a security standpoint, we benefit by having 51 different systems Um, because every single one of them runs differently. They all, they use different equipment, they have different rules, et cetera. And, And that is actually a security benefit. now. That's not directly related to the electoral college, but it is in the spirit of why states are separate sovereigns. And um, the electoral college is the institution of that in the presidential election in particular. Um, And, um, you know, uh, there's, we see the differences in how states vote. I I actually worry on both sides. Both sides make this mistake. When they get power in Washington, they want to jam their thing on everybody. And um, that isn't what the founders wanted. It isn't what they thought would happen. And when you ask the question, gee, why is it so uncivil in our political discourse today? Well, one of the reasons is our elections are almost life and death from from the standpoint of our beliefs. If we were willing to let people do what they wanted to do in other states and minimize the exercise of power by the federal government, There would be more civility in politics because there would be less at stake. Um, And then people could live in the places where they wanted to live, vote with their feet, as Ronald Reagan used to say. And people are doing that. I mean, ask Florida and Texas, you know, about all the Californians and New Yorkers they're welcoming. I mean, people do move for freedom um and um and and i haven't seen the opposite to be true as much as the left would like to talk about it gavin newsom's been flapping his jowls a bit um in between putting on hair gel so um you know the electoral college is obviously threatened by the national popular vote movement um i can't imagine being a legislator in a state that voted for that and it all sounds really swell until your state's electoral votes actually go to the guy who lost in your state and um you know the the revolt that would take place at that point but then the election's over yeah just like election security you have to secure it on the front side once a bad ballot goes in the ballot box it's awfully hard to fix that same idea
0: it's it's very ironic that you have democrats running around saying you know we have a plan for legis state legislators to sort of give away their electoral votes uh, and ignore the the will of their own voters. I mean, it you know, I, th- I think it's gotten a little a little uh, challenging. The irony there with all of their you know all of their complaints about the the questions that people raised after the last presidential election. Uh, Ken, our our final question on our six questions podcast is always the same, and that is who is your favorite founding father and why?
1: Uh, Patrick Henry. Um, because he was willing to fight no matter what the odds were. And he did it very, very well. Um, and I'll give you an example. He opposed the U S constitution. We take it for granted today, but it was not a foregone conclusion, even when it came out of Philadelphia and in Virginia, we had the Titanic ratification battle between James Madison who wrote most of it and Patrick Henry who opposed it because it gave too much power to the federal government. And, um, It was so close that the vote in Virginia, the key vote was 88 to 80. Only four people had to vote the other way to defeat the Constitution. And um, at that time, Kentucky was part of Virginia and the Kentucky counties were the swing votes. And James Madison vehemently believed a Bill of Rights wasn't needed. If it doesn't say the federal government can do it, then it can't. Well, can you imagine not having the Bill of Rights today? Patrick Henry attacked and attacked and attacked for three weeks, very successfully. And James Madison politically, essentially, finally committed, look, if we get this Constitution, I will do everything in my power to get a Bill of Rights and um, Patrick Henry lost. The Constitution was ratified in Virginia. And then the next month, New York. New York was waiting to see what Virginia did. The vote in New York was thirty-one mm-hmm. twenty-nine. So if it hadn't passed in Virginia, it wasn't going to pass in New York. And then the two biggest states in the, in the colonies at the time would have said no and effectively defeated it. But um, because James Madison had to defeat Patrick Henry and because he wouldn't give ground and because James Madison kept his word when he went to Congress, the first Congress, he proposed the Bill of Rights that we know today. Um, and, um, and we have those protections because Patrick Henry was willing to lose in, the, in fighting for a good cause.
0: Terrific. Well, uh, Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative and former Attorney General of the Great Commonwealth of Virginia, thank you so much for being a part of our Six Questions program.
1: My pleasure. Good to be with you all.
0: And thanks to all of you for listening or for watching. Remember, you can find this program wherever you can find quality podcasts online. And uh, please go to SaveOurStates.com. Make sure you're signed up for our email list and a part of the fight that we are waging to defend the Electoral College to defeat the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact that is such a threat to our republic, as we've talked about even here this morning. Until next time, I'm Trent England for Save Our States.